Well, thank you, and good morning, uh, Lincoln Square Presbyterian. It's an honor to be with you. We're going to be in Psalm 126 today, so you can turn there in your scriptures or in your bulletin. And um, as we do, let me pray for us. Lord, as we open your word, we pray that uh, the memory of joy and the future of joy would be brought to bear in the present. And may the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be acceptable in your sight through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Oh, great. Thank you, Chad. Oh, there we go. And yeah, I, I have great memories of uh, worshiping at Covenant Presbyterian uh, with Chad and Jody years ago. I was there for four years, and that got me connected to The Well, the ministry at DePaul University. Chad was one of the first people to let me preach regularly, which is a big risk on his part, but one I still appreciate. And he and Jody also had me over to their home as a young college student and you know, I still have memories of that. That means a lot when you're new to the city, and uh, so it is a joy to, to be here. Lincoln Square Presbyterian was also a great model for Emmanuel Anglican as we began our journey about six years ago planting in Uptown. I've looked to Chad as a mentor and continue to, so it's an honor to be kind of doing a same sermon series, a long obedience in the same direction from the Psalms of Ascents. I was thinking this past week about uh, a bike trip I recently took. I was to take a retreat for prayer and reflection, and my retreat center was about 30 miles north of our house, which is in Irving Park. Uh, but I had recently discovered the, the trails that lead north. Some of you may know about these bike trails that go into the northern suburbs. And so I discovered them and wanted to explore them with a bike that I had recently uh, acquired. And uh, I just thought it would be awesome to, to, and really relaxing and really spiritual to take my bike up 30 miles north. The beginning of the trip was so much fun, packing um, the protein and my books and getting my bike tuned up, getting a new t uh, tube for, for my tire, getting it all ready to go, and exploring those first few miles, really, of the trail. I mapped out my route uh, just very strategically, and um, as I pushed off, it was just like so awesome and thrilling. And then at about mile 15, it started to get really old. <laughs> I had a backpack on, and so my, my lower back began to ache, and just the sheer act of pedaling, 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 it was like, when is this ever going to end? It began to snow. It wasn't snowing when I started, but it started to snow. And by that time, you know, I was in the suburbs, and so the roads were a lot bigger for the cars and a lot narrower for the bikes. And really, all of the joy of the beginning sort of had evaporated. Um, but yet, I knew that even though I was kind of in mile 15 of the journey, there was joy ahead for me. There was a feast waiting. There was a chair for me to sit in and read. There was a bed for me to sleep in. Um, there was a more spiritual pilgrimage ahead that was going to be wonderful. So I had joy behind me and joy in front of me, and that's what kept me going. Psalm 126 is for mile 15 of our spiritual pilgrimage. There's joy uh, behind us. There's excitement. There's answered prayers, maybe, in our past. Um, there's great 
great hope that got us launched into this spiritual pilgrimage with Jesus. Uh, and there's joy ahead for us. Sorry, I have a small Corsican face, and so this is a challenge. There's joy ahead for us. There's a great feast. There's a great reunion. Um, there's laughter. There's triumph. Um, but right now, it just feels like endless peddling, peddling, peddling. Maybe some of you are practicing Lent. Right now, we're about halfway through Lent. We're at 50%, mile 15. This is the time when we need Psalm 126 because it borrows from, it, it draws from the deep well of the memory of joy. But it also borrows from the great future of joy, brings both to bear in the present. Um, uh, there is a memory of joy uh, that we carry with us long before our birth even. A memory of joy, the joy of God's people as they were delivered that is our inheritance. And there's a great future for joy that will last even after our death. It will be there for us. There's a feast waiting for us, the goodness and glory of God, which will welcome us in when we are in Christ. And so when we've got a sore back, spiritually speaking, when we've got 15 miles behind us and 15 miles ahead of us, that's when we need Psalm 126. Um, the first few verses of Psalm 126 uh, is the memory of joy. Verses 1 through 3 is really the memory of joy. And then verses 4 through 6 is the future of joy. So let's, let's consider the memory of joy together. Um, verse 1 reads this, when, when the Lord restored the fortunes of Zion, we were like those who dream. We were like those who dream. When the Lord restored the fortunes of Zion, um, the pilgrims who sing Psalm 126 remember the miracles of their past. They can remember when the Lord rescued them, when the Lord restored their life, when the Lord performed a miracle that just sort of left them in awe. Like, are we dreaming? Like, would someone pinch me, please? Is this really happening? Has the Lord really delivered us? It may be that they're remembering uh, sort of vicariously the memory of being delivered from the Red Sea when their ancestors were sort of standing on the banks of the Red Sea and they're watching Pharaoh's army sort of floating like driftwood and going, I've been afraid of them my whole life. Are they really, did the Lord really deliver us? Are we really free? Am I really, am I really awake right now? Would someone pinch me? Uh, or maybe they're remembering when the temple in Jerusalem was dedicated. Like, we've been homeless our whole life. I mean, for hundreds of years, we, we haven't been home. And here we are, we're home. The Lord isn't in a tabernacle anymore. He's in a temple. And he, not only that, he's filling the temple with his glory. Or maybe they're remembering those times in Israel's history of spiritual renewal when a king or a prophet would recover the sacred scriptures and uh, remove all of the, the pagan practices. And then the Lord would make that holy presence felt again. And they just remembered, wow, the Lord hasn't forgotten us. He hasn't abandoned us. When the Lord restored the fortunes of Zion, we were like those who dream. We just couldn't even believe it. We were uh, left aghast. This is something that happens regularly in the life of God's people. The Lord surprises his people with grace. And he leaves us sort of wondering, am I dreaming right now? Um, so I wonder how you would fill in the blank if it was when the Lord blank, we were like those who dream. How would you fill in the blank? Do you have a memory of joy in your past? Um, when the Lord restored the broken marriage, we were like those who dream. 
When the Lord restored my broken health, we were like those who dream. When the Lord changed my life after addiction and gave me a future and a hope, we were like those who dream. When the Lord answered my prayers for a, for a troubled relationship with a, a child, we were like those who dream. Is this really happening? Is this really the same son, the same daughter? Um, when, when, the, when I got let go of my job and the Lord provided an even better job, we were like those who dream. A couple years ago, I got an unexpected bill for $5,000 from emergency room stay. I got into a bike accident <laughs> um, here in the streets of Chicago, and um, uh, it was bad enough to sort of have to deal with that stress and recover from that, but then the medical bill came. Even though I have insurance, it was like, hey, you owe $5,000. And um, I was like, how am I going to pay for that? I don't know. And I remember praying about that. And then I remember there was a letter we got later that year. It was dated December 24th. And it said, hello, we're from the medical group. Um, your renewed account balance is below. And it said zero dollars. I remember looking at that zero and just being like, wow, I owe zero dollars. Before that, I owed $5,000. We were like those who dream. I remember my wife, Laura, and I just... Like, we just couldn't help but sort of cry tears of joy. <laughs> um, the Lord has done great things for us. Uh, verse 2 sort of takes us further into this celebration. Then our, mouths, our mouth was filled with laughter and our tongue with shouts of joy. Mouth is like no more room for anything else in our mouth except for laughter. Um, there's no more room for anything else for our tongues to express than joy. I don't know if ever of you have, have experienced that experience of cry laughing, where you're laughing so hard that tears leak out of your eyes. I don't know if you've ever yelled so loud in triumph that you woke up your neighbors. Maybe after the Cubs won, I don't know. Um, it's just these pilgrims savoring all the memories of those times when the Lord acted decisively on their account, and uh, they were filled with joy. They were filled with laughter. Um, we can, we can picture all of the people of God, they just stop everything. They stop their work. They stop anything that they're worried about, and they just break out the feast, and they just celebrate. And, and even the second part of verse 2, you know, the nations can overhear them partying. Then they said among the nations, the Lord has done great things for them. And it, you can almost see the nations sort of like tiptoe, on their tiptoes, like leaning in like, what are they happy about? What, what's so exciting for them? They must have had something amazing happen. We need to get in on this, uh, which was, you know, the plan for the very beginning with the covenant. The Lord wanted to bless the nations through, by blessing Israel. There's shouting all over Zion, and it's just thundering out from the Judean hills, and all the nations can hear it. All the nations can hear their joy. Um, this is all part of the memory of joy. Uh, how the Lord has acted on our behalf. How the Lord has surprised us. Um, how he's filled us with triumph and, and overflow. And, and then how people around us sort of take notice of this. This is how good their God is. Um, the people of Israel, they really treasure these memories. They take them with them into the painful parts of their life. They don't leave them behind. Um, and so we can even imagine, you know, the pilgrims, as they sing Psalm 126, this psalm of ascents, they're, they're making a pilgrimage up to Jerusalem 
looking up and being like, there was once a time when I partied up there. There was once a time when, when maybe right now it's mile 15 and my back hurts or my soul hurts, but I remember the joy, and it's good to remember the joy. Um, they say, the Lord has done great things for us, verse 3. The Lord has done great things for us. We are glad. So there's, there's a, the Lord has acted in their past, but it's being brought to bear in the present. It's this memory of joy rushing into the present. Um, this is a great verse for today. You know, Lincoln Square Presbyterian celebrating baptism, celebrating the Lord's table, the sacraments. Um, the Lord has done great things for us. Long before we were born, he acted in ways that we can see now, and we are glad today. March 31st, 2019 is a day where we're glad because long before today, the Lord has been doing great things for us and do, been doing great things for us before we could even ask for it. Um, now, this isn't living in the past. M maybe some of you have experienced what it's like to have nostalgia living in the past. Um, I certainly have. I've been tempted in my own life to glorify the past. Like, wow, there was a time that from where I am right now, that time seemed great. And something worked out there. There was a romance. There was a great job. There was a, there was a group of friends that I, you know, felt known and loved by. Maybe that was the good old days. And if only I could get back to the good old days. See, it just glorifies the past. And that's not what Psalm 126 is. It's not nostalgia. It's not living in the past. It's the living past. Meaning, when we look back, we see the hand of God. We see the activity of God in the past. And that's what we focus on because that's what's still present with us today even if our soul hurts or our back hurts, the same God is with us. And he's delivering us and he's acting on our behalf. And that's why we can draw from this great memory of joy. Let's say there was a time in your life that seemed to be full of joy. Your first child was born. You were accepted to the school of your dreams. Or you became a Christian. You tasted God's grace for the first time. Or you fell in love. Or, or maybe it was the early days of planting Lincoln Square Presbyterian Church. Um, now, nostalgia, the good old days, would glorify that time period as sacred. Um, and it would leave you discouraged. But worship, the, the living past, would recognize the hand of God, the presence of grace that was in that time, and leave you with joy because that same God and that same grace is present now. That's the memory of joy. Do you have a memory of joy? Uh, it is good and right to remember how God has been merciful and gracious to all of us. Let's talk about the future of joy. We've talked about the memory of joy. Let's talk about the future of joy. And, and I want to see if we can hear the pilgrim's longing and the pilgrim's expectation in these verses. Um, maybe they are about halfway through their journey from home to Jerusalem, and maybe they are tired and weary Jerusalem is in sight as they look up, but it's still a long way off. And so they pray these words in verses 4 through 6. Restore our fortunes, O Lord, like streams in the Negev. Those who sow in tears shall reap with shouts of joy. He who goes out weeping, bearing the seed for sowing, shall come home with shouts of joy, bringing his sheaves with him. So the Lord 
brought joy to them in their past, and so they're going to ask for joy in the future. They're going to borrow from that future joy. I love the boldness of verse 4. There's a great boldness of verse 4. Restore our fortunes, O Lord. They go right to the throne room of God, right to the throne of grace, and say, do it again. Whatever you did in the past, we want it now. Restore our fortunes like streams in the Negev, or the Negev, depending on your translation. Let's see here. There we go. So the Negev is a desert. It's a Middle Eastern desert. It's a sun-baked, cracked, hot place you don't want to be living in. And yet, every once in a while, there'll be rains that come through. Of no merits of the Negev itself, it's just rains come through and transform the, the sun-baked desert into a garden. Flowers ablaze everywhere. Water coursing through what was once just dried out ditches, now they're streams. Now they're water courses, and it's a beautiful land. Um, the pilgrims ask for the Lord to bring a sheer and sudden grace on their life and on this world. Negeb prayers, we might even call them. Negeb prayers. Bold prayers for the grace of God to restore our cracked earth. And God can answer Negeb prayers. He does answer Negeb prayers for people and families and churches and entire cities and microphones. <laughs> he can free people of terrible conditions. Um, like the garrison man who was set free from 5,000 demons in Mark 5. Um, I once met a woman from Iran. Uh, she was set free from an addiction to, to a type of rock cocaine, a very addictive rock cocaine, when she was living on the streets. Someone mentioned to her, you should cry out to Jesus for help. She did, and that night she experienced a type of presence of Christ, and delivered her overnight from this rock cocaine. Um, she's now a wife, she's a mother, and she's a follower of Jesus. Um, God can also soften the hardest of hearts. Um, I once met a man from Iran whose life revolved around physical violence, and he was absolutely under control of this violent behavior. At one point, he overheard someone referring to God as a father. The Holy Spirit took that small bit of truth, applied it to his heart, and he immediately gave his heart to Jesus Christ. Um, he went from spiritual desert to spiritual garden. These two people, this woman and this man, who had both been delivered miraculously, they met. They were set, sent to prison for their faith in Christ, and they planted a church in a prison in Iran. Um, I would not have believed it unless I had personally met this couple and seen the joy on their face and heard their story. Um, God can do that. He can bring immediate spiritual renewal to an entire city like he did at Nineveh. Churches and cities can go from desert to garden overnight. And these gifts can come with little to no participation of either one of us. Simply a negeb prayer that gets answered. This is what God can do. Um, We'll experience this if we are in Christ on the other side of death, receiving the great inheritance that's waiting for us in Jesus. Um, but he can do it in our lifetime as well. So we can pray these negative prayers on our way to Jerusalem. Lord, let your grace transform us from a desert to a flower bed overnight. We can pray negative prayers, but we can also pray seed prayers. Seed prayers. We pray seed prayers as we work the hard soil. 
We pray seed prayers as we sweat and cry and bleed and invest our life and labor into the ground in obedience to the Lord. Look at verses 5 and 6. Those who sow in tears will reap with shouts of joy. He who goes out weeping, bearing the seed for sowing, shall come home with shouts of joy, bringing his sheaves with him. I wonder if we can see the picture the psalmist is painting here. Can you see the picture the psalmist is painting in verse 5 particularly? Those who sow in tears will reap with shouts of joy. If we just slow down for a minute and see a whole group of people bent over on the fields and they're weeping. We don't know why, but they're sowing, they're doing agricultural work and they're weeping. And they're not bearing any seed yet. Maybe they lost last year's crop. Maybe that's why they're weeping. Or maybe they lost children. Or they lost their homeland. They've been exiled. Um, and that's the before scene. Then the after scene sort of shifts where it's the same people and it's the same ground. But this time, their, their arms are, are full of the, the harvest and they're, and they're laughing. The Lord has done great things for them. Um, so there's a bumper crop and then they're shouting for joy. And then verse six is kind of a variation of this. It describes a man going out from his house and he's weeping. And so we don't know why, but like maybe foreign armies have taken over his home or maybe there's a famine, but, but he's weeping. He has to leave his home. He's being pushed out. Um, and all he's got is like the seeds in his pocket. And he's gonna take those seeds and he's gonna just take him. He's going to take his life and he's going to sow it wherever God takes him. And then there's this homecoming. He comes home and he's laughing and he's crying and he's got, he's got uh, his arms full of bundles of sheaves. And there's a, undoubtedly a great feast for him. The Lord took him away. The Lord brought him home. So what are the pilgrims seeing here as, the, as they look ahead and borrowing on this future joy? They see this slow burn miracle where they participated with their own two hands with the grace of God. And I wonder if you can see yourself in these pictures. I mean, in verse 5, in verse 6, these murals, can you see yourself working the ground, whatever that represents for you, parenting your children or leading your small group or showing up to recovery group or um, praying for the burdens of your heart? Worshiping here at Lincoln Square Presbyterian or being a person of integrity at your workplace. Can you see yourself grieving? Unsure of how or if your efforts matter at all? Gutted by losses and disappointments? Feeling displaced, feeling unsettled, feeling not at home? And yet you pray. You pray with tears. And then by faith we can see ourselves in that same field that same workplace, that same home, laughing, celebrating, a great homecoming, a great harvest, that the Lord has answered our prayers, that the same God who answered prayers before in ways that surprised us and left us shouting and grateful and cry laughing is the same God who's going to meet us in the future, wherever the, whatever the future has for us. And this is possible because Jesus left his home in heaven, weeping, bearing his seed for sowing, and that seed was his life, that seed was his blood, his own body, and he planted his life into the grounds of our cracked earth of sin and death, and out of that came a harvest of eternal life. 
He came home triumphant. He, he went to the Father's right hand, shouting with joy, arms overloaded with sheaves of sons and daughters. He went before us in tears, and he went before us in joy. And when we go out sowing in tears, we do so knowing that his future joy awaits us. We sow our seeds of love and grief and tears and blood, knowing that Jesus will reap them. Uh, we can participate with him in this slow burn miracle of grace that's happening all around us. And one day those tears, that labor, that sowing, will give way to great joy. And the joy of our past and the joy in our future come together right now in Jesus Christ. We may be weeping now, but let us enter into this joy as we continue sowing, as we continue worshiping, and as we make the last 15 miles of our life and spiritual pilgrimage to the holy city of Jerusalem. Would you pray with me? Lord, we now ask for the joy that came before us and the joy that goes before us would be present now through the Holy Spirit. And we pray that we would be able to say right along with the pilgrims of Psalm 126, the Lord has done great things for us. We are glad indeed. In the name of Christ we pray, amen.